This audio recording is presented by New City in downtown Orlando. Our scripture reading this morning is from Matthew. You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward." But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward." But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is God's word. Please be seated. This week, uh, I read in a magazine about a new book that came out in February by sociologist Donna Freitas. And the name of that book is The Happiness Effect, how social media is driving a generation to appear perfect at any cost. Now, Donna's a sociologist in a place that is like the mecca for producing these types, uh, this type of research for young adults. And uh, it's at University of Notre Dame's Center for the Study of Religion and Society. They have lots of uh, power there in terms of research, and I just mean sheer numbers of people. And so, even this is pretty impressive. A qualitative researcher who had a team that interviewed over 200 people across 13 universities that's quite a lot. And uh, the findings now are in this new book. And in this article that I was reading, uh, what, what, a couple of things caught my attention. First of all, uh, she contends that. The normal headline-grabbing abuses that we tend to be concerned about with social media aren't what she thinks are the most dangerous things. So she names some of those things that we might be concerned about as cyberbullying or sexting or uh, all types of things, not to mention just a sheer waste of time. Um, I added that one in. Uh, But rather, there is this more uh, insidious uh, phenomenon, and that is this. She says, the drive to look perfectly happy all the time. And she talks about, in her research, uh, many reported that it was nearly unthinkable, they said, to present themselves in any other fashion. 
Uh, she found that these young adults have an overwhelming urge to present themselves always as successful and happy, and that they are shockingly aware of the watchful eyes of their peers and of the corresponding need to routinely spiff up their profiles. You see, what, what she goes on to talk about is that these young adults have a keen sense that they're always managing a personal brand, that someone's always watching. So they go back to their profile, and as they move along in high school, they're going to go back to delete photos from middle school to, to spruce up their brand. And here's another quote. They even call it manicuring their presence. And by that, they mean their online presence. So they recognize that they'll even curate their favorite images to present the intended picture of happiness that fits their brand. Now, I'm really not uh, a person who rags on social media. Um, and we know that social media did not create this new temptation, right? It just gave an avenue for the proliferation of this temptation that we all have. And that is this perpetual temptation to be seen by others in order to be praised by them, right? We all have this desire to be seen by others so that they'll praise us. And you could call that uh, a desire to be seen as righteous in someone else's eyes, right? There are many systems of righteousness. So in this article, the belief system is that I must always be seen as happy and everything must be sacrificed to that reality. But for others, right, we have to work at the right company, or eat the right types of foods and eat at the right restaurants or champion the right causes. And this is really important, be outraged against the right causes, right? All social media platforms do is give us new pathways in order to exercise this desire. That is to be seen by others and to be praised by them. So we know that there are uh, Many, many ways. We can self-publish with our blogs. We can self-publish with tweets right away. Um, no one else has to see them. We can track our likes, all types of things. But it's not just, excuse me, it's not just online. It's everywhere in our life. You see, Jesus' warning to us this morning is very, very important for us to consider. And that's this warning that all of us tend to live our lives in such a way to gain praise from people. And what happens when we live that way is we must be at the center of our own lives. That's the only way uh, that we gain praise is if we are at the center. So the way I think Jesus unpacks this principle for us in chapter 6, verse 1, is the first thing he talks about is this perverting the practice of righteousness. So whatever our system of righteousness is, some of you may not even be Christians and you, you may just be here uh, curious, someone invited you. You may be a new Christian and you might be saying, I'm not even entirely sure what righteousness is, which we'll talk about in just a minute. But at the most basic level, all of us have a system that we participate in in order to make us feel valuable or presentable before others. And we have our own standards that we try to live up to. All right, and so, however, uh, the system itself oftentimes can become perverted uh, because of the wrong desires. So this passage, by the way, is in the Sermon on the Mount, okay? And some of you haven't been with us, but what we've been talking about 
is the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' teaching to answer the question, what is the good life? What life is a life of flourishing? And what he's begun to tell us is that those who flourish will practice a greater righteousness than even the most religious people in his day. He said the most religious people in his day, which were called the scribes and the Pharisees, that the righteousness that leads to a flourishing good life is even greater than the righteousness that those folks practice. And so from verses 21 through 47, which we went through over the last few weeks, Jesus applies this principle of greater righteousness to things like anger and lust and divorce and oaths and relationships. And now in chapter six, he's doing the same thing. He's showing us what this greater righteousness looks like, but now he's applying it to devotion or piety, you might say, in three very common ways. The first way is giving to the needy. The second way is prayer. And the third way is fasting. But Jesus starts in verse one with a warning. He says, beware or be on alert or keep watch that you do not practice your righteousness in order to be seen by others. And then in verse two, he tells us why it's important that people might want to be seen by others. He says that they may be praised by others. So just just pause for a second and think to yourself, why is it that I long to be praised by others? A lot of times it happens as a hum. It just becomes an impulse. It becomes the way that we live life, the way that we enter into every room, thinking, how do I get praised in this instance? How do I make sure people know I'm the smartest person in the room? Or how do people uh, see me as, although I am the smartest person in the room, I act like I'm not the smartest person in the room? Whichever way it is, this impulse, what is it in you that longs to be praised by people? Jesus just assumes that it's there and it affects all of us. And there's nothing wrong with these practices themselves. There's nothing wrong. In fact, any good Jew in this day would have practiced all three of these things. They, They would have understood that giving to the needy or almsgiving, as some translations say, is part of loving your neighbor. It's part of of sharing what God's given you, your resources, with those in need, right? And this idea of praying is to seek God's face, to admit your dependence upon him and to enjoy him. And so any good Jew would have absolutely practiced these two things. And then fasting, this idea of abstaining from food and sometimes food and drink for spiritual reasons or reasons to deny oneself and to maybe sober oneself to reveal our own addictions to certain things and uh, in order to seek God in certain seasons, right? That, that was a common practice. And in fact, the really spiritual people, but the people that Jesus says our righteousness must be better than, many of these scribes and Pharisees fasted twice a week. I mean, they were intense. But Jesus doesn't speak against the practice itself. He speaks against the desire to engage in these practices in order to be praised, in order to be seen as important. And in fact, he paints the picture pretty uh, humorously. Like, let's just look at a couple of these, for example. Uh, When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet. Just think about that. What if, as they're walking down the street, 
They see someone who's, who's begging or in need and they just pull out a trumpet. Hey, everyone, watch this. Give them money. Or if someone, although it's not exactly the same thing, walks down with a wheelbarrow full of coins. I don't mean like, like a child, like my daughters who put like a few coins in, but I mean like they're tithe, right? But in quarters and they bring a wheelbarrow in and hey guys, we're gonna need a bigger basket because I gotta put this stuff in here, right? That is the type of ridiculousness that Jesus is trying to point out. We think it's not only ridiculous, but we'll see in a second that it's foolish. It's a fool's bargain in order to be praised by men. Or uh, this idea of, of praying in the public square, it would be like it was normal to pray three times a day, but to plan it in, in such a time that to make sure that I am in this specific, most foot-trafficked place in the entire city when it's time to pray so that I can pray out loud, very ostentatiously, showy, so that I can be seen and praised by others. And then, there, of course, there's fasting. What I find interesting is this word that Jesus uses for to be seen by others is a word that's found in the theater. And so really what Jesus is saying is not just being seen by others with my eyes, but to be seen in this way means to, be, to put on a show. It means to actually put on a performance. That's what he means. Okay, so in this case with fasting, this is like an Oscar-nominated performance. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. So you know what some people are like, like in, you work hard to make yourself look bad, right? You know, it's like, well, some different types of people, right? You look gloomy and they disfigure their faces on purpose. So this is an act. This is a performance that they can be seen by others. Why? That they may be praised, verse two. So Jesus again, in his style, takes this to the furthest extreme to show us what he's talking about. But I think we all, whether we carry a trumpet, we might say toot our own horn, right? Whether we actually engage in these things or we're, we're more socially uh, clued in to figure out how to hide these, we understand the impulse to desire to do things in order to be seen. And Jesus calls these types of people hypocrites, now, when we talk about hypocrites, we tend to say a hypocrite is someone who says one thing and does another. But in this instance, Jesus is talking about hypocrites as people who actually do the right thing. I mean, they're doing the right thing, but for the wrong reasons. They do the right thing outwardly for the wrong reasons inwardly. Their motivation is wrong. And Jesus would say that is not righteousness. See, we've been talking about what righteousness is. And I put verse 48 in here so that we could uh, clue ourselves back into what we've been talking about. Now, at the end of verse five, I mean, chapter five, verse 48, you see this, this sentence. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So what, what's happening basically here is that when Jesus says, you, therefore, he's referring to all of the teaching he's just given us, probably since the Beatitudes, at least since verse 17 through verse 47. He's saying, as we talk about these things, what I'm really saying is you need to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And if you're familiar with the scriptures, you might have expected it to say something else. Like you may be holy as your father is holy. 
But I think it's interesting, and commentators will point out that Jesus changes the word. He changes the word from what we would expect holy to this word, which means perfect or mature or complete. Why would he do that? Well, I think it's because he wants to clue us in to the fact that even the idea and practices of cleanliness and holiness had been misconstrued by the Pharisees. In fact, holiness had turned into an easy thing. Remember, we said the Pharisees were really good at taking the permissions of God and and making them bigger and taking the restrictions of God and making them smaller. Why? So that God's law would be manageable, okay? And so Jesus is saying, actually, it's, it's much more than that. You've heard it said, but I say, and he taught us for the last few weeks on the, the wholeness of the law, that righteousness is when a person's heart and desire is aimed at the right thing, at the kingdom of God, and that our insides match our outsides. Sometimes in our culture, we worship how we feel, right? Not necessarily what we do. And this is the realest you inside. Well, Jesus would say, actually, true wholeness and righteousness is when your desires are aimed at the right thing, but then your insides match your outsides. And that's what he means in verse 48. Therefore, you must be perfect or complete or whole. You must be whole as your father is whole. I think this is what most people in our culture long for, is wholeness is this desire that how they feel would actually match up with who they are, where they would experience a coherence in life, a wholeness in life. And we'll come back to that in just a second. You may be wondering, if you've been with us, how come Jesus said to practice or to do your good works that they may be seen by men earlier? And now he's telling us to beware that we don't practice our righteousness in front of others. Now, I'm going to quote John Stott here because it's very succinct. And I think that it's more helpful than what I could try to say. He says this, It is our human cowardice which made Jesus say, let your light shine before men. And our human vanity which made him tell us, beware of practicing our piety before men. We should then show when we are tempted to hide and hide when we are tempted to show. I think that's very wise, and I find that helpful. We just had uh, a child, our third daughter, and one of the things that you do when you have babies is you, you make food ahead of time and you freeze it so that when the baby comes and things are crazy, you can take out that food and thaw it out and put it in the oven. Well, uh, one of my favorite dishes that we've done that with all of our daughters is this lasagna. And so we, you know, I would take it out and I would let it thaw and I would put it in the oven. And maybe you know where I'm going with this. The thing about lasagna that has become so frustrating to me is that when I take it out, it looks completely done. It, just, it smells amazing. It looks great. And so you cut it up and I, I always start on the outside and I eat that first piece on the outside and it's delicious. And then as soon as I get to that next layer, almost to the outside, but not quite to the, the next layer, it's an ice cube, right? And it, and it is, I don't know about you, but when that, hits, that goes in my mouth, I'm done. I cannot keep going. My appetite is gone. And then for at least two to three weeks, I look at that lasagna and sort of throw up in my mouth. I just can't handle it, Right? 
No one would ever look at that lasagna when they experience it and say, oh, it was done. It was complete. It was finished. Of course not. They would say it appeared to be done, but it wasn't done. Jesus gets at the same idea. Matthew chapter 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So what does this look like in your life? Where are you most tempted to be seen by others, to put on a performance and put on a show so that you would be praised by them? One of the things we do here at New City is we engage together in community Bible reading. Uh, There are great things about community Bible reading. We read the scriptures together. And the last uh, blank or box that we go through in the morning as we read is what has God shown you this morning that you could encourage someone else with? And that's a beautiful thing. And people speak into my life and I'm so grateful. And there are times when it's so clear as I'm talking with someone that uh, I need to be mercy and grace and love and one another, my brother or sister, with what I gleaned from the scriptures that morning. But there is a shadow side to this as well, is there not? This desire to say in a conversation, how can I fit in the fact that I read the Bible this morning, right? And not just Romans, right? That'd be too easy. I read Numbers this morning. I read the chapter of Numbers. It kind of reminds me your situation of that list of names. I want to tell you about that right? But you laugh, but we do things like that. It's, it's just amazing to me. It, it, it is quite amazing. There is a shadow side to that. But that's an easy one, right? That's low-hanging fruit. Where are you driven to perform for the praise of others, right? To make them proud, to appear a certain way in order to be praised by them, right? Maybe you're in a new job and your entire month, two months, six months, has been taken up by trying to please and impress your employer rather than God. Rather than working out of an act of worship, you're constantly concerned that, am I, am I doing this right? Am I, am I seen as an all-star here? What is it for you? Maybe it's family. Every time you get around family, you turn like me into a 13-year-old child again, <laughs> trying to uh, show, I did a good job. I turned out okay. And we're sort of consumed in these moments by a need to be praised. Not just a desire, but a need to be praised. And really, it's not even about the other person. What happens in these moments is that we're obsessed with ourselves. It's not even about them. It's about us. So how in the world would we ever believe that we could glorify God or just even enjoy him or to love and serve our neighbors if we're completely obsessed with ourselves in every moment. Every time you walk into a room, you're sizing everyone up, maybe not to be against them, but to make sure that you can be okay in your own mind. And we put on these performances so that we are perceived as righteous or perceived as worthy of praise. And this is a little preview for next week. You'll notice we skipped the Lord's Prayer. Next week is on prayer. Okay, so here's, uh, this, this was uh, 
This was given to me, and I would like to give it to you this week. Uh, Here's a question. Uh, How do you know that you might be hypocritical? Let's just take prayer, just quickly, as an example. Are your public prayers more passionate than your private prayers? And if so, you might be a hypocrite. Now, that's dangerous for a person who gets paid to pray in front of people. But that's next week. I want you to think about that. Because the point of me saying that is, we can also put on a performance before God. Right? It's not just other people. We can put on a performance. We present ourselves as something that we're not. You see, part of wanting to be seen by others is to be seen by others as something or someone who is important. So there's definitely a perversion of the practice of righteousness. And again, it doesn't matter what your system of righteousness is. Uh, You make it all about you uh, so that you could be praised by others. But there is a proper practice of righteousness. And that's where I want to close this morning is there's not just the fact that we're perverting the practice of righteousness or that this warning is for that, but there's also on the flip side an encouragement to pursue the practice of proper righteousness, okay? You'll notice here in verse 2, in verse 5, in verse 16, Jesus says, when you give to the needy and when you pray and when you fast. So Jesus is not afraid that because there's this temptation in these practices that we then should not engage in them. And in fact, in recent years, I've observed some type of pendulum swing away from spiritual practices or uh, spiritual disciplines uh, for more external uh, practices of righteousness, which are good. But I'm, but I'm not sure how we would expect to have external practices of true righteousness if there isn't this growing, flourishing internal life where our desires are being recalibrated and reshaped. And so Jesus, of course, would have us engage in these types of practices. You know, I think that uh, one of the reasons, uh, again, is because these are the types of practices when done properly that no one sees. There's no, there's no cool hip video to watch on this opportunity for righteousness. There's no marketers that make this look really cool. But this is where in the stillness and quiet and to use the word secrecy of our own heart before God that this internal reality, these desires that we have begin and continue to be recalibrated. You see, the flourishing life, the truly righteous life, isn't satisfied with only an internal sense of flourishing and only an external sense of flourishing, but true righteousness is wholeness. It's when this growing desire and flourishing of our heart of our longings, of our dreams, flows out of us into love for neighbor, to truly love them and be for their good. But it does work both ways. You see, in other words, I don't want us to underestimate the practice of external righteousness, even if we don't feel like it. As long as we're aware of the fact 
that we may not feel like it, and we are engaging in these external practices, they will, in turn, shape this interior part of us. They go together. And we can't be satisfied with either, but our pursuit is to have both. It's to be whole before the Lord. You'll notice here that Jesus is showing us two paths. And he keeps doing this in the Sermon on the Mount because it's, in large part, wisdom literature. This is Jesus the sage who's up on the mountain and he's teaching us what the flourishing life is. And here are the two paths. There's the wise path and there's the foolish path. There's this, what one commentator called the pharisaical piety, which is showy and motivated by vanity and rewarded by men. And that's a fool's bargain. Because this word for they have received their reward, it's a word that means paid in full. Our account is settled. You should expect nothing else. That was it. That's why you did it. You've been paid. There's applause. That's it. But there is this other way. There is this reward that comes in secret from your father, and that is this kingdom piety, which is motivated by humility and is in secret and is rewarded by God. And this is clearly shown as the wise path. There is no altruism in the Bible, not the way we tend to think of it. There's always the invitation to reward. We shouldn't be afraid of that. Jesus isn't afraid of that. But the call is to proper reward, a properly aligned desire to be rewarded by what? By the presence of God, by God himself. What could God give us that is better than himself? So to be rewarded by God, it's not things that he could give us, it's him. Right? There's nothing more rewarding, there's nothing that brings more joy and more satisfaction and more wholeness and completeness than the presence of God and enjoying that presence. You see, the problem isn't that we want to be seen because you'll notice it's God also sees us. That's not the problem. The problem is not that we want to be seen, it's that we want to be seen for something that we're not. But when God sees us in secret, he sees us for who we are. And when we're seen for who we are, we're known. And when God sees us, God sees us and he knows us and he still loves us. It's not wrong that you want to be seen. But when you, we take that desire to be seen by men, to be praised by men, Jesus says it's a fool's bargain. And true reward comes from being in secret with the Father. And so, if you're like me, as I was at this point in my preparation, I thought, well, what do I do now if this is my life? If my life is consumed with living for the praise of other people? Or on the other side, what do I do if I'm so tired of that rat race? It's so exhausting that I act like I don't care what other people think. Right? And I make fun of people who try to practice righteousness. And then I'm a cynic and I think I can see through everyone and everything directly to their motivation. What happens if I'm either one of those? And Jesus talks about the religious and the irreligious next week in prayer too. But which one are you, right? What if I'm practicing my righteousness constantly for other people to be pleased with me? Or if I act like I don't care, but I secretly do? What do you do? Well, you, you do the same thing. You stop posing and you go back 
to the very first thing Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, which is blessed or flourishing are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You see, when you come to the realization that you are posing on one side or the other, to be seen in that secret place, to be truly seen, to be truly known, to be observed, to be apprehended, to be taken in by the Father, in that moment, you must admit again over and over and over that you are spiritually bankrupt before God. He would not look at you and be impressed by anything. When you come to him to be received by him, you come empty-handed. You have nothing to offer. And when we do that, and we're seen in that place by the Father, we get him. And therefore, we are rewarded in that moment. And in the song of response, I want you to think about that. I want you to think, where am I? Am I ready? Am I willing to surrender my life, to admit my need? Because we are all messed up, and anybody can get in on this. As long as you're not offended by the fact that you have nothing to offer. If you're not offended by that, you can receive the reward of God's presence. And in a moment when we come to the table, we'll see that even more specifically. Let's pray. Father, we come to you longing to be whole, but not just having our insides matching our outsides, but to have our, our hearts and longings aimed at the right thing, to be aimed at the kingdom of God to be aimed at righteousness. Where there's justice and there's flourishing and there's peace and all things are as they ought to be, we long for that reality. I pray now as we respond and prepare our hearts to go to the Lord's table that you would call us to rejoicing in the fact that we have nothing to offer. That you would preach in our hearts Holy Spirit, the good news that Jesus died to save sinners. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.